Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast, where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of Moore to you, thank you and God bless. You know that I, I love, love to praise, praise His holy name. Amen. How many of you in here are blessed to be here this morning? Did you know that you were going to be here today? I think that's a blessing for God to give us another day, especially when he didn't have to. And it's just good to come back and, and be here uh, to worship him together with you. Uh, on this, this morning, we continue our sermon series uh, we started, which is titled Social. Social. Um, what we've done is, I've, we've, we've asked the question, what if you were your favorite social media platform? What if you had the characteristics of your favorite social media platform? What if your favorite social media platform uh, just imprinted itself on you and you were known for what that thing causes or what that thing is popular for. And on last week we looked at uh, Facebook, we looked at uh, self-control, and on this week we're going to take a look at uh, the social media platform called Snapchat, which is widely known to, to deal with some, uh, some questionable things. You know? The purpose, it wasn't designed for what it's, it's been used for, but it is known a lot to involve a lot of sexual immorality, right? And what if, what if we were struggling with that sin? What if, what if we were struggling with our desires and struggling with keeping ourselves abstinent before uh, we were married? What if we constantly struggled within ourselves to stop looking at pornography on our phones and our tablets and our computers? What if we were struggling within our marriages to keep fidelity within our mar marriages? What if, right? And so today we take a look at this. And what I want to do first was I wanted to show you this product. Um, it's these special, um, they're called HTT glasses. Have y'all heard of these? HTT glasses? Uh, show, show them what the HTT glasses look like. These are these are HTT glasses right here, right? These glasses, they give you the ability to see other people's sins. These glasses here give you they, they magnify what everybody else is doing wrong and cause you not to see your own things that you're doing wrong. Right? The HTT glasses are the holier than thou glasses. It's a new collection. It's an old classic, but it's a new collection, right? where you see only what other people are doing wrong 
and never see what you're doing wrong. Right? Have y'all have y'all worn these glasses before? Some people some people go to admit to wearing them. I know I've worn these glasses before, right? And you tend to see what other people are doing and totally miss what you got going on. When you wear these glasses, they seem to amplify uh, certain things in our lives. They seem to only point out only the sins that we're uncomfortable with. Let me show you what happens when you wear the... Go to the next slide here. So this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. This was our scripture reading, right? Now, if you're looking at this regularly without HTT glasses on, you see this scripture and it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We look at that. And that's a whole list of sins. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of sins that if you are engaging in these sins and you die in this state that you're in, you want to inherit the kingdom of God, right? Let's see what happens whenever you place the HTT glasses on and read the same scripture. Do you see what happened? When you put on these holier-than-thou glasses, all of a sudden you begin to underline certain things. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. And you see how fornicators has changed because you don't struggle with that sin. So that means that it's extra bad, right? No idolaters. It looks normal because most of us don't know what that is. And then we see adulterers and it's big old letters. The font gets bigger than what it normally is. No homosexuals because we don't like that, right? No sodomites, nor thieves, nor what's that? What's that next one right there? It gets smaller, doesn't it? Nor, what is it, covetous? We ignore that because we know, we know that we sometimes want the things that other people have. So we're willing to ignore that sin because we struggle with it, right? And then after that, it's, it's not even in English anymore. Nor, I believe that's drunkards that go there. So we totally just wipe that out of the scripture when we put those glasses on because we like to be a little bit tipsy when we get off from a long day's work. Tipsy isn't the same as drunk, but we still like to ignore it, right? That's what we do. No revilers. We just cross that out, right? Because we like some good old slander, right? We like some good old gossip. Makes us feel better about ourselves. No extortioners. We make that smaller because... Sometimes we rob people. You may be like, I don't steal. Sometimes we rob people of their joy. Mm. We'll inherit the kingdom of God. And so when we look at this, and of course, these glasses don't exist, right? But sometimes we get into this space to where we only see sins that we don't struggle with as being bad as being the ones that's going to send everybody else to hell while we, with our HTT glasses, are going to be in heaven. And so we look at this sin of sexual immorality, uh, and sometimes we look down. We look down on people. And sometimes we just, we, we don't encourage, we discourage, 
And then we begin to rank the sins, all right? And if you're unfamiliar, uh, fornication is any sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage, all right? Uh, adultery is whenever you step out on your husband or your wife. Uh, there's two words that's used here in this text um, to describe homosexuality. Homosexual, the first word that's used there um, is to describe the um, person who is the aggressor uh, in the same-sex male-on-male sexual relationship, and sodomites is the receiver. They have two words there just to cover all bases, and that's ju- it's not just for men who uh, seek to have relations, sexual relationships with other men, that's for other women as well. And so some people like to look at this text and they say, well, Paul put these first because these are the worst sins. And that's, not, that's not true. That's not true. Um, as we look at this text, uh, what we'll understand is, is that Paul is talking to this church about what specifically they struggle with. Okay? What they struggle with. And, and as we look at this sermon today, you may not have a struggle with sexual immorality, but you may have a struggle with something that is on the screen here. And so if this doesn't apply to you, I don't want you to be thinking about this other person who lives next door to you who needed to hear this sermon. Let's make this applicable. Let's apply this to ourselves. Let's apply this to ourselves. Let's think about where is the area where I look at other sins as being wrong and I point the finger at Epstein and at Trump and at all these other people and I sin too. Let's focus on ourselves on this morning. Hopefully we do that every, every day. But on today, let's make sure we do it, all right? We're going to go to the book of uh, Luke this morning. The book of Luke is where we're going to be. If you have your Bible, raise it up. It's a great place to bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, turn to page 560. Is it 560? What page is the text on today? In Luke chapter uh, 7. I had that page number wrong. 507. 507. So if you don't have a Bible, just grab a Bible off the back of the chair. It's on page 507 is where we'll start today. I'm going to begin by reading this text in its entirety, and then we'll um, exegetically look at this text, bring out the meaning of what the author is intending and what God meant for them to bring out in the text, and I believe that it will be a blessing for our lives. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold on. All right, sound like everyone's there. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible on this morning. And the Bible reads in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, the Bible says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The he that's talking about here is Jesus. Verse 37 reads, And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them. Can we say anointing them? With perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him, 
She's a sinner. Can we say she's a sinner? I told you all to focus on yourselves. All right, verse number 40. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered him, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus responds, you have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who was forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. As we look at this text, we know that the physician uh, Luke likes to write books or historical accounts for his books where he gives very precise and intentional details. Luke doesn't want to miss out on anything because every detail that happens in this story has a meaning. Luke, he tends to write to an audience who are not of the Jewish heritage, and so he wants to give very much focus and detail to what people may not understand. Luke starts off here in verse number 36, saying what, Brother Arnold? Then one of the Pharisees invited uh-huh. him to eat with him. Uh-huh. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So Luke starts off by, by setting the situation. Right now, Jesus has just finished doing something, and then he gets invited in because they like to invite prominent people into their house at that time, right? They actually still had dinner with other folks. And it says that a Pharisee invited Jesus into his house. Now, I want you to understand who the Pharisees are, right? The Pharisees are those people who say, you know what? We are faithful. We are God followers. We're going to do whatever it is that God wants us to do. Their name literally points to them being the separate ones. We are the ones who stay holy, right? And they're not as bad as the super holy folks, right? Because the super, super holy folks are the Sadducees, right? And they don't believe in the resurrection. And that is why they are sad, you see. It works every time. All right. So they're not as bad as the the Sadducees are. They want to keep to God's word. And in order for them to keep to God's word, they have made up a bunch of other rules in order to stay away from breaking God's law. God didn't tell them to. They just made these rules. And so they see themselves as being better. We are saved. We are redeemed. I don't have time for them folks that ain't got their life together. Does that sound familiar? They invite the Son of God into their house to eat. And when you invited someone into your house, that means that, okay, I have a relationship with this person. I vouch for this person. We can kick it anytime. They invite Jesus in to sit with them. Jesus goes into the house. He reclines at the table. And what happens in 37? 
And a woman in the town who was a sinner okay. found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So it just so happened. It, it's not just today that it starts that people can hold water, right? Jesus is in this thing, and then she hears Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. And this certain woman that's, that finds out about it is a sinner, somebody who would have been an outcast, somebody that you didn't want to be around. She finds out that Jesus is in the house of the Pharisee. It's crazy how Luke, who, who was Luke's source? You think about that, like Luke knew a whole lot of stuff. I like, sometimes when I read Luke's right, I'm like, Luke must have been nosy. But he got all the details. He has all the details. This woman, she was a sinner. She was, would have been someone who's an outcast, somebody who's looked down upon. And we've all been in that position. No matter where we are in our lives, we've all been in a position to where we just don't fit in. We've been in a position to where we haven't been good enough. We've been in a position to where we just aren't up to the, the, the class. Or we don't have enough money. Or we've done too much wrong to fit into certain groups. And so we can understand this woman's position as she finds out that Jesus, who has not yet revealed that he is the son of God, by the way. She found out that Jesus is in this man's house eating. He's reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house. And then Luke mentions another detail right at the end. It says that she brought what? An alabaster jar of perfume. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume. That is not to be lost. All right. That is something to pay attention to. Okay. That is something to pay attention to. Remember that alabaster jar as we continue this text. Okay. Remember that she brings this. She's not even really invited, but she just comes and crashes the party. And then we see in verse number three, uh, 38. What, is that, what does that say there? And stood behind him at his feet, uh-huh. weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. Now, pause right there. She goes into this person's house while they're reclining at the table. And then she's at the feet of Jesus, a place of humility. She says, I know what people say about me. I know that they say that I'm not good to be around. I know that they say that I shouldn't come into good company. And I don't disagree with them. And we've all been in that place to where we struggle with something that we know that we don't want to do, that we know that we don't want to engage in. But guess what we go ahead and do? That same thing. We know that it's wrong to do that thing. We know that we've been taught better. Our parents have taught us. Our Sunday school taught us. Uh, our sermons that we listen to, we hear that we're doing the wrong and we still do it. This woman is in the same position. She says, I know that I'm doing wrong and I've come to a place to where I can get help. And she's at the feet of Jesus saying, I know I'm not worthy. And she's crying. Loud cries. This is what this, this weeping word here. She's not... <laughs> You know how we do when we watch those movies, man. You watch the notebook and it gets a little sad. It reminds you of your wife. You've been there, brother voice. You watch those sad movies. You don't want to see you don't want sister voice voice to see you cry. So you're like, mm. That's a that you didn't okay. This is a different type of cry. She's crying, wailing, crying, loud crying. They're trying to eat. Can you can you picture this in your head? They've come to eat a meal, this woman is wailing, crying at the feet of Jesus, and then she uses her tears to wash his feet. 
And the word that they use here isn't washed in the original language. It says that her tears are used to wet his feet. So she's crying so much and there's so much tears coming out of her that Jesus' feet are wet by her tears. She's not faking this. This is real. This is genuine uh, remorse for what she's done. She wets his feet with her tears. Read that verse again for me. And stood behind him at his feet, uh-huh. weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. Uh-huh. She wiped his feet with her hair. And then after she's crying and she's wet his feet and she's cleaned them off, she used her hair to wipe his feet. Her hair. And I don't have to sit here and go in a bunch of detail about how important hair is, because some of us spent the paycheck on our hair yesterday. But she spent their own hair, or she used her own hair to wipe his feet. To wipe his feet? She used her hair. It says that not only did she wipe his feet with her hair, but she began to do what? Kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. This woman right here was truly, truly sorry for her condition. And I believe that we've been there. We've been in the place to where we've made a mistake and we're like, we're hearing this thing now and I'm sorry for what I'm doing. But what I want you to also notice is, is that her condition wasn't changed by the fact that she was sorry. Because sometimes we think that when we're in our midst of sin, when we're right in the middle of that thing and we're doing the very thing that we know is wrong, we think that if we feel sorry, then God's good with us. This passage doesn't end here and say she felt sorry and everything was okay. And we've been there. I know I've been there. I can't speak for you. But I've been in a place to where I'm doing what I know I'm not supposed to be doing. I feel sorry. Well, God knows my heart. That's not a real thing. Just because she felt sorry didn't change her condition. It didn't catch the attention of Jesus. She wipes her feet or wipes his feet with her hair, dries his feet. And you got to you got to pay attention to the cultural context here, because it would have been shameful for her to even pull down her hair in this culture. Do y'all realize this? In this time, when this was written, if a woman were to pull down her hair, her husband could have been like, okay, that's it. We're getting a divorce. That's the culture. But this woman pulls down her hair and washes another man's feet. She didn't care what it took to get right. She did not care. She says, I'm going to the extreme to make sure that I'm all right. I can't be worried about how other people see me as not being worthy of how the community wants to send me out so that I can't be a part of them. I have to go to the extreme to make sure that I'm good with the person I believe to be the son of God. You mean I have to get wet? Go to the extreme. If you want to fix yourself, if you want to have a relationship with God, If you want an opportunity to be what God has called you to be, you have to go to the extreme. And so she goes to the person who could fix her situation because she realized that she could not. 
A lot of times we tell ourselves, you know, I'm going to wait until I get myself right to come to God. And what you'll find out is this, is that when we try to fix situations, we just mess it up. We just make it worse. Have you been in that place before? I remember when I was first learning how to make gravy. Y'all, y'all learn how to, how many of y'all know how to make gravy in here? So you try to make gravy, you put too much flour, and all of a sudden you got this meat pudding, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't flow if you put it in a saucer, it just plops out. You put too much water, you got to add jus sauce. You try to fix that thing. You try your best to try to figure it out without asking somebody. It's just going to get worse and worse. And that's how it works when we try to fix our own sin. We just end up distorting the whole thing and making it worse than it was when we first started. Because we don't have the solution. God has the power to fix that. We don't. We don't. And so this woman comes and she cries and her tears wet the feet of Jesus. She wipes them with her hair, dries them with her hair. In verse 39, what does the Bible read? When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, uh-huh. he said to him, So, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. Paul's right there. When, when, when he saw this Pharisee who invited Jesus in his house, when he saw that Jesus was allowing this sinner to touch him already in his head, his view had changed of who Jesus was. And you notice here, like I said earlier, Jesus hasn't revealed himself as the son of God, so he just thinks that this man is of God. And that's why he invited him into his house. He said, this man right here, I see what he's doing. I think that he is of God, and God is putting words in him to speak to us. But whenever he saw that this man of God allowed a sinner to touch him, he said, this dude must not be a man of God. Why would someone of God allow somebody dirty to touch them? Somebody who isn't worthy to touch them and make them unclean. When I'm reading this, I'm thinking, how, how, how is this important to us today? And this is what I found in this. When you look at other religions and you look at who other people serve, whether it be the Hindu religion, whether it be Allah, whether it be um, 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 pagan, well, they don't serve a God, Pentecostal folks, whoever, Seventh-day Adventists. When you look at these other people and their religions and what they believe, oftentimes what you find is is that the God of these other religions who are responsible for creating mankind want nothing to do with their creation. And our God, the God of the Old Testament, the New Testament, Yahweh God, he wants everything to do with his creation. And so as I'm reading this, I I, I think to myself, why is it that other people don't want to be part of Christianity? Why is it that people don't want to be a part of Yahweh God's family when Yahweh God is the only one who wants the creation to be with him? And this man right here who is a Pharisee who is supposed to have studied what it meant to be a Yahweh follower, part of the family of God, he thinks that Yahweh God can't keep someone from being unclean? 
His theology is off. And so he questions Jesus and he says, why is he allowing this woman who is a sinner to touch him? He must not be from God. Go to the next verse. Jesus replied to him, Uh Simon, I have something to say to you. Okay. He said, say it. So Jesus says, okay, I know that this man, this Pharisee named Simon, he done put on his HTT glasses. And he's not seeing things correctly. So I need to say something to him. So Jesus speaks up instead of saying silence. He says, he says, I need to say something to you. And the man says, say it, teacher. And verse 41, what does it say? A creditor had two debtors. Now, Jesus being Jesus, he ain't going to just come out and say what he needs to say. He's going he gonna to tell a story. One old he need fi- for him to understand. He said a creditor. Now, a creditor is somebody who has the ability to give out funds to loan to other people. He has a surplus of money so he can lend out to people, right? Keep reading. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, pay attention to this. A creditor loaned out some money to two people, and these two people owed him money at this point. One person had 500 denarii and the other person had 50. Now, I need you to see. I need you to see this right here because I think this makes this work a little better when we understand what we're talking about here. Denarii. It equates to a whole day's wage. Think about what you make in a day, right? 500 denarii are 500 days of wages, right? If you make $10 an hour, what does that equate to? That's $40,000. If you work eight hours at $10 an hour, 500 days, $40,000, right? The other person... 50 denarii, 50 days wages. What does that equate to if you make $10 an hour? $4,000, right? One person, let's just think of it in today's terms so we can wrap our Western minds around this. $40,000 and $4,000, right? $4,000, I can go buy me a Caprice Classic and look pretty good rolling around. $40,000, I can be riding in something real nice. I give me a Cadillac or something, have a little bit left over. $4,000 doesn't get you a lot. The person who owes 50 doesn't quite owe what the person who owes 500 owes. And this is how Jesus starts off this parable here. One person owes a whole lot, and the other person doesn't owe that much. But what does it say about the two? Let's look at the next verse. Verse number 42. Since they could not pay it back. It says, since they could not pay it back. He graciously forgave them both. It says that the creditor graciously forgave them both. Pause right there. Now, what I need you to see in this, what I need you to see in this is that there are two people who have, who are in a position to where they owe. Two people are in a position to where they are in need because they can't pay back what they borrowed. But yet the creditor forgives them both. All right. Keep keep mulling over that for a moment. And Jesus asked the question. So uh-huh. which of them will love him more? Jesus asked the question. So which of them will love him more? Which of them is going to show him more agape love? Because they use that word agape here. Which of them is going to show the unconditional love? Which of them is going to be more grateful Simon the Pharisee thinks about this question for a minute. He takes off his HTC, or HTT glasses. 
And Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. I, I guess it's the one that he forgave more. Then Jesus tells him, you have judged correctly. And this word here, judge, it means that he thought about it and he answered correctly. And that's something that we don't do all the time. God has given us the ability to think, and we don't always use that ability. We don't always take things that are going on within our lives and say, okay, let's think about this. Let's see what God has to say versus what I have to say and then come to a conclusion. And that's what this man did right here. He says, you thought about this thing and you answered correctly. Verse 44 Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, mm -hmm. do you see this woman? Now pause right there. I want, I want to talk some. This man, this fictional man in this parable of Jesus lends out money, two parties, 500 denarii, 50 denarii, $40,000, $4,000. And here, here's what I see in this as well. The creditor didn't say, I'm going to forgive your debts, but you who owe me more, I'm going to treat you worse than the person who owes less. And this is from the mouth of Jesus, the son of God. And he's not talking about money here when he's talking. He's talking about sin. Don't look down your nose at somebody because they've committed sins that you have never committed. Well, that sin that you committed is a disgusting sin. I can't be with you. I can't hang with you because your sin looks worse than my sin does. You can't worship at this church because you're a pregnant teen or you're a pregnant, unmarried person. Your sin shows externally, but my lies doesn't cause my belly to grow. My gossiping doesn't cause my tongue and my mouth to stink. This is from the word of, this is from the mouth of God. Jesus spoke these words. He didn't put ratings on sin. And so after Jesus asked Simon the question, he turns to the woman and he says this. What? He says this to Simon. I entered your house. Go back to 44. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. Okay. Do you see this woman? Uh-huh. I entered your house. Uh -huh. You gave me no water for my feet. Okay. But she, with her tears, Go ahead and read through 46. has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. Mm -hmm. You gave me no kiss. Okay. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. Okay. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but mm -hmm. she has anointed my feet with perfume. What we see here is that Simon's actions are being compared to the actions of this sinner, this person who would not have fit in with this community. Jesus saying, you didn't do the things that would have been normal in this culture at this time. You were supposed to at least offer me something to drink when you came in. You were supposed to offer me water for my feet. You could have even called one of your servants to come and wash my feet off. But you didn't do that. But this woman came and she washed my feet with her tears. Do y'all see what's happening here? He didn't even offer up a pitcher of water and pour them on Jesus' feet. That would have been the customary good thing to do to somebody who was visiting your house in this culture. He said, you didn't even offer the thing that you had a surplus of. Yeah. 
And she gave from herself. She gave up from herself. It came out of her of what she used to clean my feet. He says that that you didn't wash my feet when I came in. She used her hair. You got towels in the in a cabinet back there. She used her hair to wash my feet. He says, when I came in, you didn't greet me with a kiss. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, that's weird that he's, he's wanting this man to give him a kiss. But that's their culture. It's like we go up and we dap somebody up and we shake their hands. We give them a hug. You didn't even greet me when I came into your house. That would have been a kiss on the cheek. But he said, this woman here who is in need, who is a sinner, came and started kissing my feet. She didn't kiss me on the cheek, but she's kissing my feet. And so he's comparing these two things. And he says, you may be in a position to where you might not have committed the sins that this woman has committed. You may be in a position to where you can say without a shadow of a doubt that I haven't sinned as much as this woman. But when it comes to the person who can forgive sins, you didn't even show me respect. And that's what happens to us. That's what happens to us sometimes because we get in a position to where, okay, I've got my life together. And I don't need to do anything else for any person or God. I don't need to worship God. I don't need to sing praises and believe what I say. I don't need to study my Bible. I don't need to tell people about how great God is and how much he can, how much Jesus can do to save them. Because I'm already good. I'm a holy one. I'm set apart. And I don't recognize how much God has truly done for me. We've all been there. We might not admit it, but we've all been there. He says, you could have anointed my head with olive oil. And when people would come into other people's homes, they would, it's kind of like applying lotion. Y'all know how y'all get the ashy elbows and you put cocoa butter and lotion on your skin. They would put olive oil on other people. They would put olive oil on people. Olives grow on trees are in surplus in this area that they're talking about. He couldn't even use olive oil to, to make sure that Jesus' skin wasn't dry. But this woman here, what did she bring? I told you to remember it. What did she bring? In an alabaster jar of perfume or ointment. I want you to see this. This alabaster jar, and it's, it's shown in other Gospels, this alabaster jar of ointment would have cost 300 denarii. She spent 300 days of wages on an ointment that's in this special jar. This jar is made of this hard but kind of soft rock that they would break the tip of it to make the oil come out. She used 300 days of wages to make sure that Jesus' feet were not dry. He does not wear Nikes. He's going to go back out. When he leaves that house, he's going to go right back into some dirt. He's going to go right back into the sun. But she used 300 days wages to make sure that for that moment, his feet were taken care of. We got to ask ourselves this question. How grateful are we towards Jesus based on what he did for us? Jesus hadn't even done anything for her yet. And she was more than grateful. What are you willing to do to show Jesus how grateful you are? 
and do the actions shown towards us translate towards others? If Jesus forgave you of your sins when you sinned against him and caused his suffering and death, are you willing to sacrifice for others? Are you willing to love people who are unlovable? Just on yesterday, I had a conversation with a biology teacher, and we were having a good conversation. I'm reading a new book, and, and she's reading a new book, and she was telling me about her book. And she has a book that, that, that's written by someone who worked with Hitler. He kept a diary, and he's talking about how Hitler used to do some crazy things, more than what we know of. And he talked about Hitler's struggle with syphilis. They didn't have a cure then for it. And so she talked about, as a biology teacher, how syphilis works, how it starts off as, uh, or she explained it as being a silent killer, a bacteria. Doesn't really show any uh, external things, really. Fifteen years can go by and you won't see any signs of it. But she says after the, those dormant days and you stop being contagious, she says then it stops trying to get out of your body and it starts eating your internal organs. Organ by organ, starts eating them. And I'm listening, I'm like, man, this is a lot. This is a, she, I'm like, she's got to make a podcast or something because she's good at explaining this stuff. She's a biology teacher. And I'm just learning and learning. And she finishes and she says that, that syphilis is the silent killer and she has this good wrap-up. And then she says... Syphilis is like illegal immigrants coming into America. And I'm just like, like, are you serious? That twist was better than a sixth sense. I'm sitting there listening to this, and I'm like, she's, she's like, they're the silent killers to America. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. This woman teaches biology in high school. What, what class is she going to say this nonsense to? And she pointed out these things about what they're doing and all of this. And she could not see the hate for a group and a race of people in her own self. Man. And also I thought, man, if we were that driven and believed that much in Jesus Christ to where we could make a speech like that to random people, man, everybody would be Christ believers because she had me going. And if I was somebody that had hate in my heart, I'd have believed what she said too. But how can we as people who were in need of salvation look down on a race of people, look down on another person who sinned just like we sinned? Do our actions translate over to others? What Jesus has done for us, does it translate over to others? Go to the next verse here, 47. Therefore I tell you. He says, therefore I tell you. How many sins her have been many forgiven? sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. Now, I want you to see in this right here. Because sometimes this is what bothers us. This is what messes up us up as human beings. This word forgiven here in this context, uh, the word here used uh, it means to alleviate from guilt. Sometimes when we do wrong things and we go to God and we pray to God, God, can you take this thing away? And we act as if God is going to miraculously reverse time and make the action never happen. 
That's not what God does in his forgiveness. What he does is he gives us a way to get rid of the guilt that we feel for the wrong that we've done. And so when I sin and I belong to God and I come to the one who can fix my problems, I don't have to worry about God condemning me for what I did. The action isn't erased, but the guilt is gone. And I'm not guilty before God anymore. And that's what's so special about God. And so whenever he spoke these words that her sins were forgiven, the people in the room could not handle what he spoke. He says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. The one who believes that they don't sin that much, they're not going to love a lot. This does not mean that the one who has committed less sins. This points towards the fact that there are some who think that they have sinned less because of quantity. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. Don't get lost in the sin count. We need to understand that our sin, our one sin, is equivalent to the sinner who has a thousand. Verse number 48, then he said to her, again, that word, your sins are forgiven. Your, your guilt is alleviated. Your guilt is gone. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't need this guilt burdening you down. I want you to learn from this experience with the Son of God that your sin is not on you. You don't have to feel guilty for what you've done because you came the right way. The hate from this little town is outweighed by the forgiving love of Jesus. It does not matter how badly you have sinned. Jesus is waiting for you to let Amen. you know that you have. Don't have to hold on to the guilt associated with the sins. And if you come to him, he can unburden your heart. Some of us came in here this morning feeling badly, not even wanting to walk in the door because of what we did yesterday. And what we did last week and what we did two years ago, and it still bothers us and it still haunts us and we have nightmares about it. And it causes our health to decline because we can't stop thinking about what we did. But we need to understand, guess what? You can't go back and undo what you've done. But God can make it as to where it never happened. You're not guilty for what happened. Only he can do that. Verse 49, what does that say? Those who were at the table with him uh -huh. began to say among themselves, uh -huh. who is this man who even forgives sins? They, they start saying, who is Jesus? How can he say he can remove this guilt? How can he say he can remove this guilt? Verse number 50. And he said to the woman, uh -huh. your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke is allowing the reader here to see that Jesus is identifying himself as the Christ. Jesus saying here, while these people who can't see past the HTT glasses are wondering why I can say your guilt is removed. Jesus then speaks to the woman, your faith, your pistos, this blind trust that you have in me that I can do something about to everything that's going on in your life. That's what saved you. Your faith in me is what saved you, not some ideology that you came up with, not from some book that you read, but your faith, your blind trust that I can do something about the sin that exists in your life saved you. 
And what I want you to understand is, is that if we are struggling with sin, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter if it's one sin or a thousand sins, Jesus can fix it. Because I can guarantee you, if you are comfortable with it today, you won't be tomorrow. It's going to burden you down. It's going to make you feel less than. It's going to make you feel like you don't belong in this room with people who call themselves Christians. But I want you to know that God can fix that. I've been there. I felt the burden of sin. I felt that no good feeling. I felt the feeling knowing that I'm not good enough. I shouldn't even be picking up this cup during communion. I've been there. It's a real feeling. And if you don't deal with that sin with God, with Jesus, it's going to keep on growing. Jesus says, you've been forgiven. Go in peace. And that peace that he's talking about there, he says, go and don't have any more problems. Be without problems. Have you committed the sin of fornication? Have you committed the sin of adultery? Do you struggle with the sin of homosexuality? Is it hard for you to say no to those sins? Do you daily feel the guilt of such sin? Come to Jesus and know peace. It is so often that we put on those glasses and then we read 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. We read this scripture here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. We read that and we become discouraged. I'm guilty of a couple of things on that right there. And I will tell you, if you put on those HTT glasses, those holier-than-thou glasses, you'll read that and you'll think that that's all that's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You'll think that that's all that's written, and it's not. When we read text honestly, and when we see God's word with his grace and mercy, we recognize verse 11. Verse number 11 reads this. And such were some of you. There's people in here who have been idolaters. There's people in here who have committed fornication. There's people in here who committed adultery. There's people in here who have gossiped. When Paul writes this letter talking about these sins, he's not saying you who I list first are worse than the ones that I list last. What he's saying is you are a group of people who used to be sinners. But then he says, but you have been washed and you cannot be washed. You cannot be made clean if you don't come to Jesus. Jesus has the answers. Jesus can alleviate that guilt. And it says that you can too be washed. That's what's so special about this passage here. It's not the fact that he points out the sins that we like pointing out. It's that they used to be guilty of those sins and God made them clean through Jesus. And such and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of God. Not only were you cleansed, not only were you cleansed, but you were sanctified. And what that word points to, y'all remember that word we talk about in Bible study, agios, the holy ones, the ones who are set apart for God's purpose. He didn't just wash you, but he said, I need you to go and tell other people so that they can be washed too. Yes, sir. 
You all have a purpose. You all have been set apart as God's people for this purpose of bringing others to this position of not having the burden of sin on them. You have the power to do that. And not only that, but he says that you are also justified through the Lord Jesus. Justified. Other people may see you as an outsider, as a sinner, as somebody who used to be what you used to do. But God justified you. And it don't matter what nobody else has to say about what you used to do. All that matters is, is that God has given you a new name and a new purpose. And he's made you clean. And you don't have to feel guilty for what you used to do. Amen. I want you to understand. That we need to do something about the guilt that we feel from sin. We need to do something. But the question that you also have to ask is, is are you going to allow the one who can fix it to fix it? Are you going to allow the one who can fix it to fix it? If you're not a Christian on this morning, I want you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has so many things special awaiting for you. The word that Brother Roe used a couple of weeks ago in our Bible study was multifaceted. God did one thing and it came with many different privileges. He sent Jesus down to die for our sin. And we got salvation. We got justification. We got a new name. We watched. We, we got all of these things from that one action. It's like looking at a diamond. You hold a diamond up and you, you spin it around and you can see those light, those that brilliance that shines from different sides. When you hold that thing up to the light, what Jesus did, it's brilliant. First thing that you must do, though, you got to hear the word of God. And, and, and what I say when I mean is, is that God has a message for each and every one of us. And it is the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died for our sins. He died for our sins. Right? He left the majesty of heaven to come down here and to live like us, to feel the emotions that we feel, to feel the pain that we feel, the rejection that we feel. Jesus felt all of that. Don't think that you're alone in feeling what you're feeling. Jesus felt the same things that you feel. And he said, I'm not better than you in that sense. He said, I will bring myself down and humble myself to feel those things and to go through those things so that you can be saved. And the question that you got to ask yourself is, do I believe it? Is it a true statement that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died for my sins? We have to repent of our sins because we can't be saved if we stay the same. That's what repentance is. It's you changing your mind to change your actions. We can't be saved if we stay the same. Just like I can't lose weight if I don't stop eating bacon. Y'all know I like to cook everything with bacon grease, right? We must also confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That confession cost Jesus his life. It cost us ours too. But what that means is, is that we die to ourselves. The old us dies. The pursuits that we used to have in life, we're not guided by what we want to do. We're guided by what God wants us to do. Is it going to be a life of perfection? No, it's not. But it's a life headed towards perfection. After this, we're, we're, we're buried in the watery graves of baptism. And that word is a transliteration from the Greek baptisma. Uh, it means literally to be buried. To be buried, right? When we're buried, the old us dies. 
in the water, we meet the blood of Jesus. That blood washes us clean. It justifies us. It clears our conscience towards God. And when we come up, we're new creatures in Christ, ready to begin our walk towards eternity. That's a great plan, isn't it? If you stand in need of prayer, if you want to be baptized on this morning, I invite you to come forward as we sing the song of invitation.